A Funny Taste in Music with Andrew Bird. Hello, welcome to A Funny Taste in Music. Haven't seen you for a while. It's not not been your fault, has it? I haven't done any episodes. Um, I I took a little bit of time off because I was writing a tour show. That takes some effort and having an extension done. And that takes making a lot of coffee. So uh, being a bit busy. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, I've been writing a tour show. I'm going on tour starting very soon. October the 1st and 2nd. I'm in Northampton. So just go to my website, andrewbirdcomedian.com. For all the tour dates, if you've enjoyed any of these chats, talking about comedy and music, come and see me on tour. I'd say I'm probably funnier when I do a do a gig. All right. Um, so yeah, come and see me on tour. Basically, uh, now yeah, I've really enjoyed doing the podcast. I haven't done one for a while, so this has been great to do another one. And with my mate Jarliff Regan, um, I didn't tell the story. We didn't get to this on the podcast, so I can tell it now very quickly. Uh, me and Jarliff met in Kinsale. Uh, Jarliff is from Ireland, so I met him in Ireland. And it's nice when you meet someone out of England and then they move to England and you become mates. And he, I met him in Kinsale, the Kinsale Comedy Festival, which was an absolute shit show. I think it might have been mentioned on this before. It was a load of gigs that were organised without any people actually knowing they were going to happen. So it was basically just like a box plonked in the corner of a bar with like a Carlsberg-sponsored backdrop on the back, and that constituted a comedy festival. So we, we, we were basically going into a pub, uninvited, and telling people who were just drinking in a pub, right, comedy's happening now. We were doing comedy despite people's wishes, basically. And one night in one of them, it was English blokes actually, said we've got, 1100 euros will give you this money not to do the gig they were trying to pay us not to do the gig um so oh it was awful uh we took the money didn't do the gig um and then we were made to do it anyway anyway so that's where i met jarliff and i instantly got on with him like kind of in a way you do when you're in a bad job with somebody and you get on to just get through it we were like that and we've been mates ever since and he's he's kind of one of them people that you know the people you think I bet he still listens to music I bet he's still in I bet he gets into new bands he has that look so but I've never really spoke to him about music so I was looking forward to this he's a good man he does a, a podcast called An Irishman Abroad which is in, the people he's interviewed is incredible some of his interviews I was quite nervous interviewing him because um, well he knows what he's doing and I clearly do not. So here is Jarliff Regan. Listen to him, enjoy him, donate to the Patreon page. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast to pay for stuff, that would be good. I can do more of them. I'm going to be doing a few, not as many, but I'm going to be doing a few. If if you're like an eccentric millionaire and you're, or if you're money laundering, launder it this way. Why not? I could help you do it. It doesn't have to be legal, does it? does it does all right forget that forget it anyway here's jarliff uh hope you enjoy it a funny taste in music the interview next hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's make a podcast. Go. Um, so thanks, Jarliff, for doing it delighted to be here appreciate you pretty well because well you're pretty busy with your own podcast should mention that straight away irishman abroad brilliant podcast and thanks to that podcast uh you got me into because i don't know about you i always remember the people that get me into albums and get me into bands and you're now on that list oh really you got me into a band i was already into but i'd kind of sort of stopped listening to a bit 
and then you really got me back into them. Do you remember it was Snow Patrol? Oh yeah, God, and they, you know, the, like they've had such a kind of up and down journey as a band. I mean, well, that's just they, with they me. Were, they were so close to quitting. They're so close to just go and forget it. It's just yeah. never going to happen for us. And then Final Straw came along. And I got the chance to obviously talk to Gary Lightbody, the lead singer of Snow Patrol, about that. And I think that so much of that journey for bands and comedians is is the crossover because there's so many times in comedy that you just think, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing this for? It is beating your head off a wall. So I often am drawn to bands that I can relate to the story uh, as much as anything. Yeah, I uh, I have that with bands. If it yeah, if the music's brilliant, that's great. But if there's a story as well, that's mm. that's one of the first things I do when there's a band I like. I sort of Google them and go, "Oh, please be from somewhere <laughs> interesting or have some story of some sort, so I can like you even more." They haven't. I'm like, "All right, fine." But um, but I I didn't. That, yeah, with Snow Patrol, I didn't really have that before. I just absolutely loved the first song that I heard, which was a song. That turned it round, run. That album that they produced, uh, I thought should have done a lot better. And I don't know about you, but like some, there's the same with stand-up specials that I look at certain stand-up specials and I go, that's that's one of the best things that's ever been made. How, how do more people not know about that? Yeah. So there's also that element to music, isn't there? I th- yeah, I think that with albums all the time. To- and I get it wrong all the time. I think, how, how does everyone not know about this album? And then I think <laughs> that about albums that everyone do know about. Mm. But um, that, yeah, that that album that you're talking about, that um, that were wilderness or wild, no wildness, yeah. wildness. wildness. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe that didn't help. The name wasn't clear enough. <laughs> I don't but, think it did. Actually, you're right. You need a name that trips off the tongue. But that that album. So I I'd kind of with Snow Patrol. I absolutely loved Run that song. I loved the mm. video for it as well. Mm. Where they look skint in the video as well. They look skint, <laughs> and um, and there's the yes, yeah, so the motorbike, and there's a big fire and all that. And it just as soon as you see it, you can't help but watch it. And it's it's just still one of my favourite songs. Run, it's such a good song. And it's I so thought funny though because they write they write music that either punches you in the throat with emotion, <laughs> yeah, or people just go, "No, oh, this isn't doing it for me." Because they there's songs on that Wildness album that I can't listen to without <laughs> getting emotional. Like, I oh, feel you can't up. listen to without getting emotional. I thought you ch- you needed to finish that sentence quicker. I thought you said the songs I can't listen to. But uh, no, without getting emotional. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he's gifted. And so is that guy, Johnny McDade, who writes the songs with them. I and they're all part of the songwriting process. But Johnny McDade is, you know, the member of the band who's married to Courtney Cox and... He's written some amazing stuff outside of the band and he wrote a song with another Irish songwriter, Foy Vance, is one for the listeners to look up. Look up Foy Vance if you're listening to this right now. Just head to your your music app and look up, uh, it's spelled F-O-Y-V-A-N-C-E. Now, he has a song called Only the Artist and again... Oh, my God, there's just like there's I just find music and comedy so vast in that way. Nobody in the mainstream really knows who Foy Vance is. He he looks like a a kind of a a mix between Salvador Dali and a pirate. (laughs) He's just got this fucking soul. (laughs) Yeah. And a way with words, like the way people think of Dylan Warren's way with words in comedy, yeah, yeah. the economy of language, like that song, only the artist, look it up now, <laughs> make it part of your life because it just soars. And uh, again, he, he, he and Johnny McDade write for other people and stuff. They wrote a song for, what's her name? Alicia Keys. Yeah. yeah. And... It came out at the start of the pandemic and it just got buried. You don't think that happens to, to big artists, do you? No. That they, they could release something and that it 
it would fall into the into the abyss. But the song was Underdog, and again, oh, I, I like I, like my when you say funny taste in music, I like everything. Like I'm I don't I'm not very I'm not I'm the opposite of Sean Walsh Blink One Eight Two. I'm like everything. Oh, yeah. Give me it all, and I will appreciate uh, parts of it all. I, I mean, Eve, I don't think Eve, he, he, that was such a good sales pitch you just did for, hang on again, Voy. Voy. Foy, F-O-Y. Yeah, for yeah. Foy. I mean, when you started, I, was, I wasn't I was even confident enough to say I haven't heard of him because I thought it might be a she. <laughs> um, so I didn't even jump in and go, oh, I haven't heard of, because I didn't even know. Uh, but I don't, that was such a good sales pitch, make it part of your life. That's sometimes... <laughs> When music is so good, you think, how are people living without this every day? Yeah. yeah. But, um, so you're a I, playlist uh, guy. Are you, uh, you know, you like, this is uh, when you pitched all the show to me and you mentioned albums. It's so funny that the place of albums is is dying and that youngsters <laughs> yeah, yeah. are playlist people. And artists are actively constructing songs with, you know, ringtones in mind and hooks yeah. at the start of the song. You have to hit them in the first 30 seconds. The, all of that stuff is now commercial consideration. Are you still an album guy on the drive or are you, uh, I'll put together the most epic post-gig playlist? I am such a Luddite. It's a... Uh... It's, a, it's actually quite embarrassing even to people even older people than me sort of go oh come on come on even I'm making an effort now but um, no I should but I should start making playlists on Spotify for for the way home that would be mm. I mean it's I so would enjoy fun. doing that yeah no it is so much fun and you, you know when but I, I don't know like you're such a worker and a hustler that like I sometimes look at people who go, oh, I've made this playlist, and I'm like, where did you get the time to do this? Exactly, That's something yeah. that teenagers do because they're literally not allowed to do anything. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still. Not only am I still full album. This might blow your mind. I'm still CD in the car. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. See, it's just it's you. Yeah. Four You're CDs in my hand while driving. <laughs> I'm going to cause a pile-up one day going, ah, should I listen a CD to that changer, again? Or is it literally take one. out that one, put it in the case? One at a time. The other day <laughs> I listened to a CD single. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's the modern equivalent of having a gramophone in the car. That's what you, <laughs> you are doing. Yeah. <laughs> You're winding it up. Uh, I don't know, like, what the attraction is there, Andrew, because, like, even the CD, you can't even say that the CD experience as a medium is good because like with a vinyl, it's like, yeah, there's a there's a beautiful process involved. There's even the peculiarities and imperfections of the vinyl yeah. as part of the experience. But with CD, if it's in any way scratched at all, it's just an annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing good about a CD, actually. You're right. It's a waste of plastic as someone who's... Uh, <laughs> Is that yeah? Tries to recycle, it's a waste of plastic. It's a waste of paper, really. Yeah, they get scratched and they're ruined. I've bought more than a few albums more than once because the CD just got ruined. <laughs> the the bits of plastic always break. The case always breaks. Well, obviously, uh, and you know, there is the one thing you would say is that like sound quality. You'd, like the argument for MP3 is just to get real technical for a second was that. The reason why they can fit so many in your phone is because they are condensing the sound and doing away with parts of the sound that your ear doesn't need. So the file itself is smaller. Right. Whereas on the CD, they've got the space to put down the highest definition of sound possible. So you probably are getting a better experience. I'm not noticing that. No way. That, and it's funny, though, that what you said then about records. I wonder at the start. Well, they didn't know any better. They must it must have blown their minds having records, but the crackle and the hiss and all that. Yeah. There must have been a point where people started buying tapes and they were like, cool, thank God we don't have, yeah. have that anymore. It's so funny that they couldn't figure out how to uh, do away with the crackle. They're like, they, you know, there was probably some scientists working on it. <laughs> Going, yeah, look, we found a substance that you can 
you can make a record. <laughs> There's no crackle. Yeah, so music geek went, no, 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 I like no, it. no, no, that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that bloke. But, um, yeah, but so, you, yeah, f- from that interview, though, I um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I was in, I was obsessed with that song Run, and then there was um, Chasing Cars, that album was just, they went massive. That That's mm. one of those, maybe one song a career for a mm. band where you have a song that, just that that's like part of British music. Even if you don't like it, you have to admit that's a great song. That's yeah, just... global music. I mean it was Grey's Anatomy that blew that up, wasn't it? The, yeah, the, yeah. Weird yeah, Grey's you're Anatomy. Right. Global, yeah. Suddenly they could film fill stadiums in America. Uh yeah. But like isn't it mad though that like it so easily couldn't have happened? <laughs> like it's just so, yeah, so you, it's such a you, knife edge. You said they were doing gigs where they were staying at the audience they were asking yeah. the, they were asking the audience is there anyone we can stay at your house after yeah. the gig isn't that to, mad to 20 people and then run was coming out a few months later yeah and then they were they were in the charts and that was it and i sound like they're really the most ultimate snow patrol fan but i i really i guess i when i'm doing those interviews with somebody like that and the record label has given me you know kind of an advance listen and you know i've got an hour and a half with the guy and i i just break my neck researching it to the point where i'm so invested in the story by the time we sit down the, even though i wasn't a huge like i wasn't i didn't own loads of albums i just liked them and their stuff that most people knew by the yeah. time i was sitting down with them I was so on board. <laughs> That's probably why when I came to you, I was like, you've got to get on board with Snow Patrol. And I did it. I sold them to you. And now you're, now you're fully in the band. Well, I, I already, I already was, but then I fell away. Cause when they went massive, then they were doing like duets with Cheryl Cole on telly. And I was like, Oh no, no. Were they? Yeah. Were they? Oh my they went God. really mainstream and really poppy. And then it went all a bit poppy and, bit too big and i was you know that's that's the thing with music fans we're like you want a band that no one else knows about and you mm. complain no one knows them and then when everyone knows them you're like no oh, too big now it's so weird. i did that with snow patrol did that whole thing and then i could have easily not listened to that album wilderness not even bothered with it just like oh, whatever and then i heard your interview and then bought it the next day and it's one of them albums where every song on it they're rare very rare. Yeah. Every song on it is brilliant. Every song could be yeah. a single. A hundred percent. Every that single one. Single Empress, I think, probably oh, maybe the best thing they did. And then yeah. I did um a warm up on the McIntyre Big Show and they were on oh, playing no at the way. end. So thanks to you, I could say hello to Gary Lightbody and and have a reason to say hello to him. I went, Oh, I'm friends with um Jarliff who uh, <laughs> interviewed you. And he said, I think I told you this. And he said, oh, yeah, he was really good. He'd done his research. I was like, oh, right, I'll tell him that. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the ultimate compliment, I mean, isn't it? I mean, I, I never understand when people don't do it. And I, I won't keep harping on this because obviously I'm not the only person in the world who does research. But I can never quite get it when <laughs> you see like big name interviewers sit down and go, tell us about the book or... Or they're they're blank on information such as you were adopted. I mean, know this. Like, I do think some of it goes back to Roy Keane. You know, as much as like Roy is in the uh, zeitgeist now, as yeah. a youngster growing up in Ireland, Roy Keane formed so much of what young men believed excellence and professionalism meant yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't just what some people thought of over here was just like he's mad you know yeah he's nutter and like we saw him as no if the standards aren't up to scratch then that's you have to call that out at the end of the day that's not okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty proud of my roy Keane impression it's not bad that's not bad oh, his yeah. quote was fail, uh, pr- fail to prepare prepare to fail <laughs> and that went into the minds of all the young lads, I think, and certainly went into my head in terms of my exams and school and all of that. Uh, and now in in the interviews, I prepare for interviews because I'm so scared of there being a moment where they say something 
and I have no fucking notion what they're talking about. <laughs> I would just the panic of that would. I can't live with that. I get sweats <laughs> thinking about. I've been in a very moment. comfortable with it. <laughs> um, it's happening now. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the listeners uh, they'll recognise it. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really glad to hear you're a big Roy Keane fan. I'm a massive Roy Keane fan. Massive. massive. And I'm not I'm not a Man United supporter, but I I I support uh, team. Well, I don't support teams. I go through phases of supporting players. Like I want mm. a team to win because mm. I love one player, and yeah. that's why I like Man United in the late nineties, early two thousands because I loved Keane, loved Skulls, loved Giggs. I mean, even if you hate Man United, you've got to admit that like core of British and Irish players was incredible. Yeah, Dennis Irwin was the unsung hero for me. And I'm a hardcore Liverpool fan. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as all the other names that you mentioned there. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and Dennis. Fair enough. But even Dennis. you still love you still love Keane, though. Yeah, I mean, look. Because you can't not. He, he's really come into his own of late as well. I mean, he's not perfect, and that was always the thing. He was never perfect. He did things that he regretted. I mean, the Alfie Gunnar Haaland tackle is the one that gets brought up all the time where he essentially, you know, held a grudge (laughs) for a couple of years and exacted revenge (laughs) on the field of play. I think it's one of the great football YouTube clips where he then goes and shouts in his ear when he's on the floor. I know, it's it's so... It's savage, it's like a film. It's savage, it's full on like the... But it was also kind of within, you know, his you know view of battle and yeah that the, that this is a war it's why he hates players cha- swapping jerseys you shouldn't be smiling what are you doing smiling on the you pitch war. Go go war. war what's yeah. uh what's to be smiling about <laughs> i mean it's funny uh, though it's, I, I find that funny that there's probably english people think it's hilarious and irish people are watching him probably thinking why are english people finding this funny it's the man's talking sense. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. Look, let's not be let's not beat about the bush. He, he he was a divisive character, and there was time in Ireland where you know a good portion of the public felt that he was you know a traitor who let the country down when they needed him most. You know, when he walked out at the World Cup uh, yeah, yeah. in Saipan, he. Uh, you know, he did so for all of the things that we've talked about there. But uh, some people were like, you've got to, regardless of how badly things are going with your coach, you can't walk off. And, you know, therein lies the contradiction and the fascination with the man was that, like, he lives by these ideals. He does not compromise. But it's a war. You don't walk off the field of battle because you feel that the facilities and the equipment isn't good enough. Uh, Or do you? Or do you? I don't know. So, yeah. That's a good argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in a battle you wouldn't go, well, these swords aren't up to much, (laughs) are they? Yeah, but like at the same time, if the commander-in-chief is trying to undermine you and you're trying to lead out the army, every man's got a breaking point and I think he just broke the other thing that people forget about that is and I know this has now become a football podcast is, uh, is that people forget that he'd had a really tough year <laughs> that year with United and oh, yeah. so much of music is part of you know you've mentioned it before in previous episodes like when things are going badly you have this thing that elevates you out of that setting and it takes you someplace else. When I watched the Roy Keane interview with uh, Gary Neville, that people should really seek out oh, on Sky. Oh, great. Oh, I, like, I enjoy watching Gary Neville laughing at Roy <laughs> Keane in a way like a proper mate or a brother would laugh when, like, come on, come on, you're oh. going too far there, but I still, I still love you for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... When he says to him, you've got a bit of a thing about people being late, don't you? And Roy goes, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you like people being late? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's that great story about he was meeting Ian Wright. Ian Wright tells it he was meeting him for, for breakfast. And he said, I'll meet you at nine o'clock. And Ian Wright walked down at like five past nine and he'd gone. <laughs> and he rang him and went, where are you, Roy? I'm here. And he goes, you were late. You weren't there. 
He went, yeah, I'm here now. Like joking. He went, Ian, you were late and just hung up. And went. The window has closed. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but in that interview, he uh, listed the things that he was listening to. And he I did. don't imagine that Roy Keane had a whole load of time for, uh, based on what we're saying there, music in kind of just, okay, I'll listen to this. It'll cool me down. Yeah. I will, you know, I need to decompress after the game. Uh, like to me, the function of music in my daily life uh, throughout my life has been escape um, and also <laughs> kind of hype. Like, you know, you and I have both had the experience, no doubt, of going to work in our job where you're like, I no more want to tell jokes right now. Yeah. And I have no energy. Like, you know what I'm talking about, where you're falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And you've just had the most stressful day. <laughs> suddenly you've got to go up and be funny. And music can get you there. It really can, like, flip switches in your brain to make yeah. you go, right, I can do this. We can, we can go. Yeah. It's funny that sometimes on the way to a gig, music is just a background thing just to make the journey go by. But sometimes you think, well, there's a lot riding on this album choice because it's going to make or break this gig. Yeah. You get to a gig thinking, not only do I not want to be funny, I actually, and I could really do with someone out of the audience giving me a cuddle right now mm. after the day I've had. Mm. But yeah, an album on the way there. Well, so what if you're driving to a gig and you've had a hard day, you've just had admin rubbish to do all day, it's really got you down, there's been shouting and stuff, dinner was a mare to get ready and you're mm. leaving the house leaving the house in chaos and you get in the car and think, oh, and this gig, I hate this gig as well. This is going to be a battle and I want to do some new stuff. I don't know how it goes. I've not had time to write it. What, what would you listen to yeah. on the way to a gig? I mean, there's a bunch of scenarios being described there, isn't there? And I think that part of each one is basically the day uh, that like people think that comics are, you know, at home busily preparing for their show or that they're 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 in some kind of holding pattern of just wandering around Seinfeld style observing the world in, in <laughs> for so, a gig yeah in so many ways your life continues and then there's this part of the day at around 8 p.m where you have to be somewhere to produce and you know make people who've paid good money have their night out uh, uh, and, you know, if you think about your working day, if you're listening to this and you're going at 8 p.m. in the evening, what are you doing? You probably just got the feet up for the first time in the day. That's when Andrew and I go to work and yeah. go, let's go again. And you acquire a weird kind of fitness from this. But it, when lockdown kicked in, I don't know if you found this, uh, I adrenaline would start going through my body. <laughs> At eight in the evening. Yeah. And it was just obviously, what would you call that, conditioning? Yeah, I am. Like getting itchy feet. I can't be here. I've got to be out and doing something. And also, I just needed people to applaud. <laughs> just give me a round of applause. So in so many ways, I don't, I have a rule about going to a gig. No music. Oh, dear. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually... Louis C.K., God rest him, who, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Louis still a going concern, but he had said that is counterproductive. And that went into my brain that like, am I giving myself the best opportunity to succeed if I'm off somewhere else or dancing along to something in the car? So I, a while ago, started to observe no music on the way and it's right. the reward on the way home and in so many ways it makes you appreciate and value that, that music when you get it but when I'm trying to get to a show I will listen to previous sets which sounds no. so batch of bananas that you no I've started to doing this I've started doing this that Have you? because I heard a couple of people say this uh, Paul Sinner mm -hmm. said he a lot of his ideas are crystallised in the car, mm. driving to a gig. Yep. Uh, John Richardson says about he has music on low that he's not really that bothered about mm. in the background, and he thinks about material. 
And I started to think that, to think of the wasted hours Absolutely. that I've spent in the car with mm. music on, staring blankly, thinking mm. of nothing, because I'm kind of listening to the music, kind of not thinking about anything. Yeah, you're Just in an blank. isolation chamber. You've got an isolation chamber where nobody can disturb you. You're kind of, you know, the way sometimes your best material will come to you when you're doing the dishes or hoovering. Yeah. This is the perfect similar activity that can kind of be done unconsciously driving where if you just keep chatting away or re going over bits tommy tiernan does it uh i know all i need to hear and sorry tommy tiernan off you go now that's enough (laughs) yeah to know that that's so funny that i do that exact thing as well is uh on the way home podcast or album as a treat for having a good gig it's a reward but now i've got a tour coming up i uh I've even started listening, recording myself uh, and listening to it on the oh, way home. Oh, I mean, that, oh, I wouldn't do that in. to yourself. I really think on the way home. But you deserve then, a treat. I remember it was David O'Doherty that said to me that that's the fresh time and that you can't lose that window directly off stage. There has to be like a like a play, a football player, a rugby player has a performance notebook of fresh afterwards you've much better sense of what exactly worked when it worked what what felt right and that you blow that by going getting pissed or uh yeah. going straight into watching a movie or something and that yeah that i i think that uh this is again a mark to your professionalism andrew <laughs> like yeah, I, I, I said it to my wife this morning like andrew's lost or like he's he, he he works like you you definitely put in the hours and that's obviously part of it I don't, people people seem to have that impression of me i don't <laughs> feel like i do i don't feel like it's i do people I think work I'm, hard never think they work hard well i feel like i'm constantly doing the thing of spending all day answering about nine emails and and swapping washing into the tumble dryer yeah, and then i'm at a gig stuff done this is it it's quite funny done. that idea of uh that might be a, there might be a funny line in that of a of, of the audience don't realise a comedian on stage the amount of shit he's blocking out to get oh. through this gig, and the amount of shit that he's done that day. He or she has lived a day <laughs> like up to that point. Yeah, like they just think that you're. I assume they think that you're just hanging. Like I used to look at comics before I was a comedian and go imagine how relaxed his day was up to now because it's part of the not showing them the strings that like you kind of wander on shamble on with a drink in your hand you know yeah nothing could be further from the truth yeah yes took everything to get there (laughs) um so that's quite good that you don't listen to music on the way there that you put Mm. in that that is important that time but um so what uh what was the music you I mean, because I know you've got a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. Two sisters. Uh, yeah. Oh, two sisters, yeah. What was the, um, uh, growing up, what yeah. was the music? Because I always have this slightly um, stereotypical in my head image of all Irish people had music in their houses and they at least two people in the house played an instrument and they'd all sing. At least once, so, a, once a day, they'd all get together and sing. It's a very accurate stereotype. Yeah. It is yeah. very, very accurate, but weirdly, it doesn't apply to my house. Uh, I, I think uh, most Irish houses, there is a traditional musical instrument in the house of some sort, whether it's a bowron, which is the you know old Irish drum yeah. with a stick. You might have seen Sharon Horgan play it in the last season of This Way Up. Uh, it's it's a wonderful drum that can just do anything and accompany any song and suddenly give it a Celtic feel. Uh, there's usually a guitar of some sort in every house in Ireland. Like it is kind of beautiful that that's there. But yeah. weirdly, my parents were mad for us all to play instruments, but then never really invested any time in making that happen. And I think that that's partially because just tended to just happen in their generation that people found guitars, they found accordions and pianos and learned to play them from the people around them. They were mad for us all to do it. They wanted sing songs in the house, but it just never 
they never accommodated it or created it. And it's only later in life that songbooks have appeared. And now that all the kids have moved out, my dad will be in the kitchen singing songs to himself from songbooks that we probably needed around as kids. But I was uh, like, I felt like we didn't have we didn't have much money at all. So that was probably a big part of it. Those things were expensive. A guitar, piano, yeah. just beyond the realm of, you know, there is a football outside. Can you go and kick that for a while rather than lessons and all of that? But uh, you know, you're right in asking about brothers and sisters, because when you're the youngest, your choice in music is irrelevant. <laughs> you will listen to what we are playing you. And that is that. Uh, so the first songs I can remember ringing through the house and no bad thing was the boss. Uh, Bruce Springsteen woke up our house every morning. Uh, the drums and that intro to Born to Run like may as well have been my alarm clock. Right. <laughs> And like, I didn't appreciate it until much later how epic that intro is and how perfect it is for the morning. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Let's be honest, that opening tr intro and that, like, it's just unbelievable. My brother's so into Bruce Springsteen. So that was he, your brother, not your dad. Yeah, so he, he, you know, works in horse racing now and seems to have a bizarre ability to get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning without even like there was no it felt like he never woke like took a time to wake up <laughs> his eyes opened he was out of bed preparing the house and mucking out stables and he was just up and at it the rest of us are like dragging ourselves like zombies out of the bed he's downstairs clapping his hand dancing around the kitchen to bruce springsteen so there was an element of Fucking hell, Bruce Springsteen, full blast in the morning, every single morning. <laughs> cool, yeah. But uh, that was what we listened to. That album, uh, Born in the USA, like, just, I mean, you know the way there's certain album covers that, like, you just remember. Yeah, they look always. like a bit of artwork in themselves. Yeah. But like you'd like have the, that on your wall, that look cool on your wall. Completely, like, people we forget how little advertising would have you know crossed your field of vision uh, in the 80s at yeah, that time so point. there was this glistening american flag back pocket hat hanging out of it you know the boss uh and i just i just remember that music so vividly from that time and then of course the girl like he moves out first like he's the eldest by a distance and he didn't before he moved out there there began this kind of rivalry between michael jackson and bruce springsteen in our house where it was like if you are getting to play bruce springsteen it must be followed by a michael jackson song <laughs> there is one radio in this house and you may not monopolize it so you know michael jackson took over our house uh like to a ridiculous extent. Have you had anyone on who's had the same thing where you you had Michael Jackson in your house at all times? No, I think so. And no one has said this. No, because I, don't I think can't so. be the only one. Maybe it's because you kind of can't really talk about it anymore and that it's not cool to say this. But there was a time when no, it's Michael not cool Jackson to say when I was a young boy, Michael Jackson was in my house a lot. Yeah, he's there constantly cool. <laughs> yeah. looking in the window. Uh, <laughs> but like he was, people forget how big he was, like how yeah. big Michael Jackson was. Like it was, what would be, he would K-pop and Ed Sheeran, you know, Taylor Swift, like that level of undeniable uh, superstar with yeah. his face on every product like Pepsi and you know, all of that period was just like there's no getting away from Michael Jackson. And it seemed like we were living in this age of because it was, that was the whole narrative of Michael Jackson was he's the greatest the king of pop, <laughs> the greatest artist ever to have lived. He is our Elvis was yeah. how it was sold to us. And, you know, there was some truth in it. Like he was an absolute musical genius, an incredible dancer, 
and creating media and videos that, you know, even with all of the controversy, that stuff still stands. Uh, Whatever it stands for, it still holds up. So at that time, I was fully obsessed with Michael Jackson (laughs) and used to dream of getting to go to Neverland Ranch. <laughs> like that is that's fully my childhood. Oh God. Yeah. So again, it's terrible. <laughs> that dark, sounds, didn't it? Yeah. It's terrible that it sounds bad now. But you you do forget. I remember being a kid and remember how massive Michael Jackson was. And you forget that. Like if you take now, if you look at well people now forget how massive Britney Spears was, but if you look mm. at all of those huge, huge stars, like none of them come as close as what he was at that, and that was without the internet, any of that. He was just yeah, and he could do it all. He wrote like he wrote music, brilliant singer, brilliant dancer, brilliant show, all of it. Yeah, he had a and, movie, and and girls liked him, and boys liked him. Yes, you were allowed yeah. to. Girls were allowed to like him, and boys were still allowed to like him. Yeah, was, yeah not yeah. many of them, as in you know, music wise, <laughs> um, but. uh but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I had a movie as well. Jesus, and the videos as well. <laughs> no, he was omnipresent, and also there was just so much. There was also like there was an element of, and you can see it's like a cult nearly, that, and as much as Taylor Swift is a huge megastar, and so is Ed Sheeran. There's no one going around going, you know, Ed Sheeran lives in a oxygen chamber and he has a monkey who's his best friend and you know there's no controversial kind of people going defending Ed Sheeran going like you know it was a political position that you held that like I will not hear of these awful rumours that are spreading about Ed Sheeran to a degree Britney is that I mean there was a whole you know, stop, leave Britney alone. I mean, oh, that's yeah. as close as it gets. Uh, that like, but like she's not at the peak of her powers when that was going on. There was so much, there was news stories about Michael Jackson, cover of tabloids every day, most days. And it was always some mad shit. Like uh, he bought the elephant man's bones and you, uh, if you were a Michael that. Jackson fan, you weren't just learning moves, learning how to moonwalk wearing white socks and slip-on shoes to school. <laughs> you were actively defending him from <laughs> Bruce Springsteen fans and U2 fans <laughs> who were like, he's a weirdo. He's not the mood of weirdo. <laughs> that, was a, that was a whole thing that you had to deal with as a Michael Jackson fan at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, um, I didn't hear that elephant bones one. I did. He was, uh, yeah, well, I wonder what, what it is because like, he kind of, uh, you know, he went, you know, he went a bit mental. And then there was that thing with Britney Spears where she went a bit mental. But it can't be what went a bit. Yeah, well, well, he that's the was, thing, man. I mean, well, that thing, yeah, so but like, they can't both be like they can't. It can't be a coincidence. What their boat is just both them. Well, there must be some child to- stars. I mean, the child star thing. Like, so Mikey got a part in as my son. Yeah. got a part in Christopher Nolan's movie Tenant. What? And it was a tiny, 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 tiny thing. And, you know, he was keen. And just the thought process, we went through all of the process of going, hmm, what is this that we're looking at here? Really looking at what is child acting and yeah. child performance. And Justin's in, I think we're reaching a kind of point of reckoning with gymnastics and young kids being forced into rigorous adult training. I think we are going to get to a point with children, performers, where we'll look back and go, what the fuck were we doing? Like we screwed up all like show me an example of the perfectly evolved former child star yeah Can what, you which ones one? are there um hang on justin timberlake justin timberlake that's the one maybe. i was thinking yeah but he's maybe done like- and only yeah. maybe and also 
like maybe like JT might tell you himself I've had to get a lot of work yeah done. Macaulay Culkin Macaulay Corey yeah. Fieldman I mean these are ones that um, these are examples of ones that have not gone so well yeah. that have struggled there's yeah, a that's a good question. What it. child stars have navigated it and come out the other and end? And come out the other side. Uh, uh, maybe Scarlett Johansson. Oh, was uh, she a child star? I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, Corley Culkin, I find that I find that I find that constantly fascinating that people are annoyed with him for not being eight years old. But look at him. Look at this photo of him. He's grown up. Yeah. Let's have a look at a photo of you when you're eight. Put it next to yeah. now. See what you look like. Leave him alone. Yeah. Not home alone, yeah. but leave him alone. I mean, see, he gets that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, he, he like by the sounds of things, he didn't have a chance. I mean, like, he, didn't he have to like divorce his parents to get his money? Uh, like this is the other thing that there is so much opportunism in it in the same way as Edinburgh really exploits and really shows you that the entertainment business on even that level is all about they'll do it for the opportunity they'll do it you don't need to pay them they'll do it and we can profit yeah uh, it's just a bigger scale I mean you know, yeah, the kid yeah. will do it. The kid likes going to McDonald's. He got to meet Michael Jackson. People think it's cute, and the movie did well. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, crazy stuff. But uh, I don't know if you watched the Finding Neverland. Uh, oh yeah, like horror show. Yeah, uh, that like you know Macaulay was the you know the gaslight, the kingpin. Yeah, in so many <laughs> ways that it was like, well, if Macaulay Culkin says that Michael Jackson didn't do those things, I leave him yeah. and you know that's like in in line with Jimmy Savile that there were certain kids that he didn't abuse <laughs> that you're like fucking hell these guys were evil uh, you know <laughs> and uh, what's mad is Andrew there's millions and millions of people that will fucking turn off this podcast right now if they were to hear me say that because they still believe he didn't do shit yeah um so, but do you still do you still like his music though, Michael Jackson? Can you, you separate? Know, I made a I made a decision a while ago to take the shit off my phone to take all of his songs off my phone. All right. And yeah, like I just did. I just I think it was after <laughs> Finding Neverland where I was like, you know what? I had great times with that music, but I need a break. And I'm somebody who owns, you know, the making of Bad, which again, mm. 1987. I was seven years old. That album was everything to me if you think about the build-up to that album it was the first yeah. album seven where i knew this album is coming and you know the way the albums used to be released at that time yeah where it was like it's unlike anything like we know today an album being released at that time was you know a global event yeah that, yeah and that became like the biggest selling album of all time within weeks uh, and I own documentaries for uh, on how it was made and behind the scenes stuff. I'm a little bit obsessed with that album. Uh, right. And uh, but still, I'm like, nah, I've had enough now because every time you stream it onto your phone, they do get paid. Like the the estate does receive a payment for every stream that you're doing. So you know, just I I took it off, but I still you can't argue with that music it's so fucking good like it's so good yeah it's like uh, Chris Rock saying about Eddie Murphy that Eddie Murphy could get away with stuff that Chris Rock can't get away with because that's how good he was <laughs> <laughs> Chris is like I'm not that good <laughs> he says that's always the benchmark he's like <laughs> Eddie Murphy could arrive four hours late people are like Eddie Murphy's here <laughs> If That's... Chris Rock arrives four hours late, they're like, fucking hell, Chris, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that is good. He's a comedian. He's so good as a comedian that he can be an arsehole now. <laughs> that's that's a level I'd love that's to get level. to. That. I've really got to think about how I behave still. That's the level I'm at. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, I love that. But um, So after then, after Michael Jack, because I remember that. I do remember, because now... That's quite sad now that I know an album's coming out because of 
uh, there's a new video by that band on YouTube mm. or there's a thing on Facebook. But it used to be like on the news, an yeah. album was being released. It was an event. It was great. Yeah, so yeah, yeah the Michael- countdown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This album is coming. Get ready. There'd be yeah. sneaky bits floating around. There'd be, you know, a teaser or even, yeah, you'd get a trailer. Remember that? You'd get yeah. a tra- or a video would arrive that would give you a snippet of it. I mean, just a different world. And I think that Jay-Z tried to recapture that with an album a couple of years ago, Magna Carta, I think it was called. And it just didn't work. Just that's just not how people consume stuff. It's not it's not one stream of people consuming stuff. It's so splintered. Yeah. So what that was one of the first was that one of the first albums you bought then, Michael Jackson? And then. Did you, do you yeah, remember no, buying was, it? Or? But again, I, no, I didn't buy it. My sisters bought it. I mean... Oh, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, I was so far off having enough money to to buy an album or a CD at that point. Like, So I when did you album, finally wrestle you know? control of music in the house? And what did you <laughs> what did you bring to the house? I never got control of music in the house, let's be totally honest. <laughs> the... the uh, home stereo i guess the first we had one home stereo in this in the kitchen and that was you know through which everything came and then my sister went off to college she you know buys her own stereo and that suddenly you know then suddenly there was room there was space i was 14 and um i guess probably no small part due to michael jackson i was into um hip-hop uh black culture and uh basketball i mean oh, ireland yeah. the, people forget ireland at that time how gray and conservative it was i mean mm. playboy magazine only came into the country in 1994 not that that's a benchmark for you know freedom yeah. of thought but it is uh, it, it is a signifier of something i mean yeah lack of availability of contraception abortion gay marriage all of this stuff was very much like you didn't think that you were under control of the church but it was a very very conservative country and i i do remember just finding it quite gray uh, and <laughs> Uh, looking to England and being like, wow, it just seems so liberal and free. <laughs> I remember going on, yeah, like I remember going on my school tour and we passed through England to get to France on the bus. And, you know, you'd stop at service stations, which I didn't know <laughs> years later would be somewhere that I would be an awful lot. But I remember seeing like British school kids and being like, fucking hell, look, they were like different creatures really <laughs> compared to it's us that yeah. different yeah man because i just felt like this sounds crazy but i just didn't feel like we had access to a lot of stuff clothes music and um uh, like it sounds stupid but like food <laughs> No, like, no, I mean. just felt that British kids just looked healthier <laughs> than us. <laughs> really? Even uh, looking yeah, at like, kids well, at your that age, you thought, God, they're, yeah, they're looking was, good. They're probably on weird. A, probably a broccoli, these kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I just look back on that time and you don't, you didn't feel deprived or anything, but like you do realise that, you know, there wasn't much, there wasn't much to go around uh, and that, I was definitely drawn to American culture and American music and basketball specifically because of the freedom of expression. Yeah, uh, you love basketball, don't you? you must, absolutely. Oh, you must have nailed the last dance. Oh, man. Like, the last dance for me is Blink-182 for Sean Watts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would I watch anything else? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was like, that That was uh, that saved that saved my mental health during lockdown one. Ah, oh, yeah. That got me through it. Everything. Every it Sunday, you had two episodes. Soundtrack. It, yeah. it has that soundtrack. Like they put they a lot of effort into that, didn't they? Yeah, like they should have released the soundtrack. I, I really think that it it has a box oh, set uh, ability. Like they should totally release a, a collector's point. set for that because the music, it kind of like it, his whole career kind of spanned. Um, my childhood and teens so you know a lot of my fashion choices are based around what was being worn then and like Irish sports were Gaelic football hurling 
it's uh, not very glam. It's a great sport, but it's not glamorous, is it? Like absolutely. basketball, it's still and it's still like it's still amateur in that you know nobody's paid, and the idea of doing a step over a, a spin or anything fancy is still like looked down upon you, you know you, you were a fancy dan inverted commas <laughs> oh, you, that's the exact opposite of basketball isn't it the, that's what it's uh, all about in basketball. it was about showmanship it was about trickery it was it was just constant george best <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that what a description of basketball you've just stumbled on there. Basketball is constant George Best. Constant George Best. It's the highlights of George Best constant. Turned up to 11. Yeah. Uh, and also in the George Best kind of, you know, bell bottoms that like, you know, basketball was so connected to clothes yeah. and culture that like you would, you know, sending away for these things that weren't available in Ireland at the time was a thing that you would... You would, someone would go to America and come back with basketball clothes. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I, I guess a lot of my musical taste kind of came out of that. So the first kind of hip hop album that really crossed over into the mainstream in Ireland anyway, wasn't N.W.A. straight out of Compton, which essentially was banned in the country. Was it? Uh, it was the Fugees, the score. Uh, oh yeah, that was a colossal album. If you remember it, I do. Hey, like, do you remember how much that was played? Yeah, like, it was absolutely everywhere, <laughs> and you couldn't avoid it. It became. It had everything on it, from slow songs to bangers, uh, to quite, you know forthright political rap so it kind of had a bit of everything in it it was your tasting platter for um, hip-hop and also lauren hill vocals like fuck me they were an amazing group when you look back on it uh so that album was the first one i bought and i fucking wore a hole in that thing (laughs) listening to it i completely drove my well i had a hole in it but you another one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you can't claim credit for that one that's two holes in it but, um, yeah. I, that, that, yeah that's that's that i love that that thing of uh an album that you think of that I, you know it's got a different shine to it it's played so much it's suddenly gone matte it's not even shiny anymore but i didn't have the i didn't have the never got the fuji's album i never had the album but mm. that i remember that song was um uh killing just, me softly ev- yeah yeah just um Every house party, every as mm-hmm. a teenager, what year would that have been? About ninety five. Oh, we'll have to, we'll have to Ooh. Google that. I remember, I remember it was proper in your mid for me mid teens. I reckon ninety five, ninety six, something like that. I think. So yeah, it comes out February nineteen ninety six. Oh, I did it. All right. Yeah, so yeah, fifteen. That was just yeah. That was ev. So that was just when you started going to the pub and house parties. So it was like important because that was everywhere. What an album. And, you know, there there are so many tracks on it that people forget about as well. Uh, that, you know, that Fuji La was the biggest, the like the, the biggest hit off that I felt. Well, no, you're right. Like, and then there's Ready or Not was the other song on it. No Woman, No Cry was on it as well. So oh, that, that crossover into uh, uh, Bob Marley. Yeah. That, uh, like I don't know it, it's funny it's a again to relate it back to comedy there there's there's a right place right time part to that album as well isn't there because it wasn't their first album like they had another album two years before that but it just hit it just hit at the right time and uh, you know it was the soundtrack <laughs> to the the entire of 1996 which was also when the chicago bulls were at their at their that's what i was gonna say why was (laughs) that the right time but that was why wasn't it because um and there was um uh what olympics was it that was it barcelona it was because it was on the last dance and they were saying about that was 92 yeah 92 Uh, so that was all was also 
you know, if you put it in a British context, it's coming home. The lightning seeds oasis was yeah. the, the other side of this. And like not to get it like to go back to what I said originally, I, I do love all music. So I wasn't one of these guys who was like, uh, I like this, so I have to hate everything else. Yeah. And you remember that in school that like there was this kind of team thing that it was like, if you like Oasis, fuck Blur. And like I loved both bands. I thought they were both excellent. <laughs> yeah. People were like, what are you, what planet are you living on? You may not like Metallica and uh, Ice Cube. <laughs> you just can't like those things. But again, that's kind of the way musical taste has gone now. People have everything on their phone. They've Yeah, good bit, point. That's a good everything. thing now. It's not as much, yeah. But I, I was, I, I'll admit, I was a bit like that. I was a bit oasis enough. I was a bit Sean Walsh blink away. He's become, he's become an example, Sean Walsh now. Uh, I was, oasis was my blink one eight too. Um, really? But, uh, yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit like that. And to the point where it's just taken me recent years that I've got into other stuff I didn't get into because of oasis, mm. which I, I do not apologize for. But, um, to the uh, one of them would be someone I know you like. Uh, I think you've mentioned before Radiohead, mm. and I've mentioned before because my brother was a massive Radiohead fan, and he was like, and he, you know, and he said, "This is proper music. Oasis is just three chords, sounds all the same." <laughs> and because I was such an Oasis fan, how dare you? Like you say, I, I can never like Radiohead now. Um, so it's taken mm. me ages to get in a Radiohead because of that. Well, there was a stigma around Radiohead as well, if you remember, that they were depressing yeah. <laughs> at that time. That's... That like, you know, especially like I felt like if I had Radiohead in my life at a certain point where you're kind of coming to terms with life not being full of loads of potential and <laughs> I can do anything we can take on the world. We're just a little band from Manchester and we're going to fucking take over. Uh, I felt like Radiohead were much more like, uh, you know, life is not perfect. <laughs> and, uh, there is misery in here and we can yeah. make great art from that. But like there was something about it that it was like their stuff was so beautiful, but it was so at times it just felt so bleak. <laughs> yeah, I think I because yeah, I was more in the much more in the thing of Oasis. This is a you know, it's um, everything's going to be brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could take over the world. It's going to be amazing. I should have really been listening to Radiohead. Now I look back on it, <laughs> yeah. they were much well, more my thing. Now I think about it, but I've got into them recently. Are you a bit? Are you a big, big Radiohead fan? Uh, well, I get. I don't know if I can consider myself a big, big any fan, but I've definitely seen them live a couple of times. Oh, I've and you. OK Computer was an album that I definitely broke up with a girl over. Uh, you broke just, up with a girl over an album over OK Computer, yeah. Uh, and oh, talk me it, through that. Well, we'll finish like, on this because was, I, I can't see how anything can follow this. Well, like everyone has a deal breaker. Right. Yeah. We all have numerous deal breakers in terms of our relationships with people. And you have to, you have to have a line. So teaching my son this, it's like, if you, if you, uh, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing, you know? And I just f f loved OK Computer as an album. Again, another 1996 album. But the first one where I was like, uh, I felt music kind of hit me in the eyeballs. <laughs> like yeah. your eyes are hot listening to it. You're going, oh man, they've they've gone somewhere else with this. Like everything we've listened to up until now, and it might have taken me until 1997. No, it came out in 1997. Yeah, yeah. So it might have taken me a while to get to it properly because I remember when this breakup happened. I played her let down and she said she'd never listened to the album OK Computer. And I was like, well, just listen to this. <laughs> and it was a bit high fidelity in that I was like, well, yes, tell me you don't like 
Radiohead after listening to Let Down. Right. And you know the song Let Down, right? Yeah, yeah. And it finished and she said, I guess I just don't like music. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not even... Fucking tr- Radiohead made her not like music. It <laughs> made her realise she doesn't even like music as a thing. <laughs> but she... I can remember dropping her off in the car and going, driving away, going, well, that's the end of that. <laughs> I don't like music is like saying I don't like laughing. To me, we have nowhere to go from here. Music oh, is good. the food of life. And it just like it just lifts you and takes you places and accompanies you on journeys and will never let you down. <laughs> it's like the most loyal dog ever. Music will never not be there for you. Yeah. And she says, I don't like music. And I just thought, yeah, she's got a robot. <laughs> You're not oh. from this planet. Oh, I love the thought of you driving off like, well, <laughs> won't be seeing her again. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I already like, like you, Jarliff, but you've just you've just got up a few notches. Yeah. That well, is good. I, I bet the listeners have similar stories. Yeah. Where they played something that was meaningful to them and to someone else, and they did a fart noise during it. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought we're not friends anymore. Yeah. Have you? Has that happened to you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've discussed it before. This the girl when I was eighteen, nineteen. I thought she was like my. My first proper girlfriend and that. And then she said about Stone Rose's song, I Want to Be Adored. She went, why would you want to be a door? Oh, and I remember that her and her friend going to the toilet and me and my mate looking at each other and going, what? 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 Who are these people? <laughs> yeah. But the fact that, yeah, you drove away going, well, that's it. Oh, What's really funny about your that. one there is that she was attempting to do a joke. <laughs> I know, I don't think she was. <laughs> That was the thing. Oh, no way. She thought those were the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. And I was absolutely right in my choice of her as a human being, and I stand by it. Um, Jarliff, it has been bloody great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, mate. Cheers, man. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk.